Hello, welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we grow, delve too greedily and too deep. We grelve too deeply uh, into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. And I'm Clara. And we are the wizards of many colors that will guide you on this journey. Uh, I'm a Technicolor Dreamcoat wizard. That's what I am. Yes. And I am basically a Care Bear wizard. The one oh that was God. the rainbow. <laughs> uh, that's a good casting call, actually, for Saruman. <laughs> uh, in this Saruman section, is the... anyway. I don't know what Care Bear that is. I don't know. Well, I don't even know. what They had names. I thought they were just sort of like... I just spelled bear B A R E. Look, everybody, we are both tired today. Clara's especially tired today. That's that's uh uh cheer bear cheer is bear. the bear with the rainbow. <laughs> a a pink female bear with a cute rainbow tummy badge. Wow. Tummy that's badge. Saruman. We should, one of these days we'll cast all of Lord of the Rings uh as care bears. As care bears. That would be amazing. I would watch the hell out of that movie. It would be better than uh, Rings of Power. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's Remember right. Remember we said we were going to watch that for y'all and discuss it? And we... then we were among the 70% that did not finish the series. Uh, 63%, Clara. Oh, I'm 63. so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, I know. I was thinking about the other day. I was like, should we mention it on the pod and apologize? Um I don't know if I want to apologize, but I'll mention it. Okay. I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah. Look, we love you all very much, but no amount of love is worth sitting through. We couldn't. Yeah, time. we couldn't commit to that much content. No, no. But it's not even like it's not even the quantity. It's the quality of that much content. It's the problem. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. If it was a little less bad content, I may have been able to do it. But too much of a bad thing is a really bad thing (laughs) yeah yeah um and that might be a segue into these two chapters (laughs) yeah oh they're not uh, bad they're just um it's just a lot of uh look you're pulling up the uh the story dump truck and you're just you're backfilling you're backfilling a lot of information beep beep. it's backing in yep getting ready to dump on you (laughs) But that's basically these two chapters. A lot of backfill story stuff we've missed, I guess, or slash Furrow had dreams about um, that we get in excruciating detail here. Um, and also a lot of the Silmarillion. So buckle up. It's a boring ride. It's not great. Little Clara on upon first reading these books was like, what is happening? <laughs> I have no recollection of the like random stuff that we're told in this section at all. I remember the Council of Elrond very well. Okay. Because I hated it. Many meetings I don't ever remember. (laughs) No, I think I conflate the two. Nothing happens. What do you mean? They give that great poem that's like 10 pages long. Okay, three pages long. To summarize for everyone at home, Frodo wakes up from his, like, I guess, coma, right? He's sort of in a in a magical coma. Yeah, he's found out that they took this knife out of him. Gandalf tells him a little bit more about kind of what would have happened to him if the knife had, you know, made its way to his heart. He finds out a little bit more about what happened at the ford after he passed out. Um, and then he goes to a fancy feast he is we are introduced to Elrond and briefly to Arwen. Bilbo is there and he recites a poem and then Frodo goes to bed after talking uh, to Bilbo but more. Don't forget that Strider helped with the poem. Strider did help a little bit. He insisted yeah. on putting something in about a green a stone. A green gem. Or yeah. Whatever. Green a green something. And Bilbo's kind of bent out of shape about it. Yeah, he does it anyway. Yeah, he does it. Bilbo's like, my artistic Uh, license is being ruined. It's the most excruciating poem yet. Yep. In my opinion. Um, And in the next chapter, Bilbo says something to the effect of it's not very good. He recites some other poem. He says it's not very good. Yep. And I'm like, you're right. I mean, Bilbo is really annoying in these chapters. I'm not going to lie. Bilbo is like that person who's like, 
he's a real look at me kind of guy. You know, he's a he's he's got an energy about him. That I just do not like the vibe does not check out now. So, yeah, so they have this big dinner. Bilbo recites his poem. Everyone goes to bed. Then the next chapter is the Council of Elrond. And wow, what a lot of information we learn in this chapter about the ring and its travels. We learn a lot about the Second Age. We do. We learn a lot about Gondor. We learn a lot about, you know, what Sauron's been up to. Mm -hmm. Uh, We learn a lot about, you know, shady men of the East. Don't think about it too much because it'll make you mad. Yep. Yeah, it's just a lot. Of, it's an info dump. Yeah. Um. All right, my friend Aaron, where would we like to start? Well, we could talk about the Silmarillion's unending presence across both these chapters. Let's do it. And what we think is is going on here, because it's all over this these two sections mm-hmm. uh, like a bad rash. Yep. You can't get rid of it. Uh, and it's all over the place. Some of it I could see why it was here. Others mm, less so. But you said when you saw that I was asking this question that you had a theory. I think that and this kind of goes into I see this question about elves, too. Yeah. Like the Silmarillion is the history of the elves. We need to remember. Which, again, is like hard to keep in mind because we're just like, okay, but it's also just sort of a history. But Tolkien was very specific about like this is the history of elves in middle earth and you know we're in rivendell where the elves live like this is their right this is the uh, kind of cultural beginnings of where we are present in the book now and if we're in tolkien's funny little brain to understand rivendell and like the elves there and elrond and what's going on in rivendell culturally you have to sort of know what's happened in the Silmarillion because it sets up, you know, everything now that's happening in the Third Age, but also sort of the cultural heritage of the setting that we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? That's a theory. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's a little theory that I have. Because we have a ton of water image imagery here, too, which made me think of the story of the elves. From the Silmarillion. Go on. Oh, and their association with water. Explain. Way, way, way back to, I don't know, like probably a fourth episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. When the elves emerge from the into the world, you know, they're they're closely associated with water. Yeah, it's like the um, first sound they hear is running yes. water. And there's it's all over Rivendell. Mm-hmm. We hear about waterfalls and streams and mm-hmm. babbling brooks. It's mm-hmm. like constant. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is if you hadn't read the Silmarillion, that would not mean anything but mean anything right it'd just be like oh it's like bucolic mm-hmm. <laughs> sure um, and we are told many many times that you know it's elrond's garden so there's this way in which it does have this kind of eden sort mm-hmm. of vibe to it because it does as you said it's it is about it is the place where all this sort of history you know you need to understand to understand the place but it's also interesting that it kind of stands outside of that history in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um at least for now you know eventually they're if, if Sauron triumphs, like Rivendell will fall too. But for the moment, right, it's kind mm-hmm. of this, it's outside of the effects of the world around, um, around it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess the other thing too is, you know, he, we're also told that Frodo is like all these heroes from the Silmarillion. He becomes kind of tacked onto that line mm-hmm. at the end by, I think Elrond says it, right? He says, you know, you, we couldn't line up Baron Luthien. Like he names him Ner- and Turin and he names a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, now you're among them when he decides to take the ring. Right. So it also helps build up Frodo, which I think we talked about a couple episodes ago, how he's kind of continually being built up by the narrative to be more important, to be special. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that again here with the conversation about the Morgul blade, mm-hmm. you know, or Gandalf says, you know, a big, big people would a, a big person. <laughs> he uses that phrase to a big person. Um, would have uh, succumbed much sooner mm-hmm. and become a shade much quicker um, than Frodo. And so we're always hearing about how there's more than meets the eye to Frodo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true the other hobbits or not. I don't know if we've seen that yet. We might as the narrative goes on, but but for now it's all it's all Frodo. Yeah, Frodo focus. Special boy. Yeah, Frodo is a special boy. Even though he was, you know, comatose for the past three days. <laughs> 
Hey, he got stabbed. He did get stabbed. He got stabbed. He got got. Was it his own fault? Kind of. Yeah, but still, we must respect he got stabbed. Mm -hmm. Even Gandalf doesn't really yell at him. Although he does say something about to the effect of he wishes he'd been there. Yes. To prevent him, presumably, from putting the ring on. (laughs) Right. I don't know how that would have happened. I don't know. He would have he would have ring blocked him. Yes. Ring jammed. Ring ring. ring. He yeah. he would have cock blocked him, but instead it's the ring. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, I also think again, like you have this in the note. I wrote it, so I'll jam it in here. Um, <laughs> keeping on the theme. Keeping apparently. on the theme, or we're really working blue over here. Um, we are. Wow. Real Sunday energy. Um, yeah. <laughs> right but like i do think a lot of it is just tolkien being like okay you know i have this and i need i want to put it somewhere like this we i mean we gotta talk about this poem a little bit we can't yeah the real long one yeah oh must we find let me find her here uh but you're right i mean it does a lot of it feels super forced like the reason we're told about luthien is because arwen is like the spitting image of luthien apparently it's like, come on, really? Like, can't we have another? I we mean, can't have another woman, Clara. No. Like another, like can, no. Uh, all all women are the same. <sighs> well, that's not true. Some are ugly and some aren't. That's true. In Tolkien's world. <laughs> but that's not even that true. Most of them are no, like stunningly like, beautiful yeah. women. But there's only like five of them. Yeah. So it's a real sausage fest. But yeah, we get um, this long poem and it's about a rental. And yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Clara. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your energy today is just it's good. Um, I mean, it is. It's like a bad. Yeah. It's it's like written pretty poorly. It's it's just not great. Well, it also doesn't really say much of anything. No, Am I crazy. No, okay. not really. I mean, it's like it's basically telling us how he was on his ship and like Elwing flew to him with the Silmaril, but and he takes it to Valinor. But that's like real gray. If you don't know, if 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 you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you have not read this in another form, you would have no idea what this and even having read the silmarillion it's still confusing because he has changed so many names from this poem to the silmarillion like tolkien edit my man (laughs) like what the heck is the shadow mirror what is calicurian you know like it's just not it's just not good and and i i we know we know the story it's trying to tell yeah and it's an like we talked about how at the end of the Silmarillion, this is maybe one of the cooler, you know, it is. chapters we yeah. get. And then he puts it in this poem and it's just not good. No. Um, no. Do you know the significance of the green stone? Do you know why Aragorn made him put it in? Because they found it on the road. He's giving his buddy a shout out. No, no. His his elven friend who left them the green gem by the ford as no. a warning. Yeah, it's a shout out. Yeah, it's like when uh, it's like when yes. artists sample each other in their song. Glorfindel, I'm looking at you, my man. This one's this one's for this one goes out to Glorfindel. <laughs> I got my man Bilbo to drop a drop a beat in for you. He's got like a liar. He's just like. Yeah. Uh, no, so the green stone is the elf okay. stone, also known as Elisar. The green mm. gem sat on a silver eagle-shaped brooch. It had the light of the sun within it, and those who looked through it saw everything that was aged with her as young once more. The jewel was given to, uh, well, the jewel gave Aragorn his name, King Elisar, elf stone. Like, that was his name. And so Erendil had it, and then it's it's just like another heirloom, right? It's another stupid rock. It's like the the Ring of Bear here is like the Tolkien the token of his lineage on his human or on his like mm-hmm. right the human side, mm-hmm. and then the Elf Stone Elisar is like the to- token of 
Aragorn's lineage on the elf side. Okay. Because okay. it gets passed out, right? Sure. Passed on down. Remember that Aragorn okay. and Arwen <laughs> are distantly related, folks. So it's important in that it's like this fancy jewel, you know. Mm. <laughs> this fancy I like my jewel. Theory better. It's not even the same stone. Doesn't matter. He did it for his boy. Um, you know, and then they sing that song about Elbereth. Mm, yep. And then they all, you know, chat a little and go to bed. Well, you know, they are in the fire hall. The fire, the hall of fire, which is oh, like sorry. a dumb name. Come on, it's it's really it's really lazy. It's <laughs> He's just... like, there's a big fire and nothing else. This is the hall of fire. <laughs> it's very lazy. <laughs> Anyway, do we think we answered that question about why the Silmarillion is all over these you know, chapters? I'm satisfied. I mean, also, like, it's history, right? So it's obviously yeah. just the same. Right. I mean, we get here, they tell stories. All these stories are, I mean, the thing, I guess the thing that's interesting is, I'll give them this, is that the stories that we're, we hear are, you know, they, they blur that line between history and myth again that mm-hmm. we talked about way, way back, right? Because, like, you literally have people who are in the stories in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Elrond's old as fuck. Yeah, and they do bring that up. They do, because Frodo's like, how do you remember that? And Elrond's like, well, little man, I'm old as balls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> he says my what is it, something that my memory goes back I, it's something to do with he, he remembers way back essentially is what he says yeah way way so it's it's a diplomatic way of saying i'm old yeah <laughs> i'm very old uh so we have that kind of going on here too so i guess it kind of fits with his I don't know, larger idea about storytelling mm-hmm. and myth and history that we've seen. And, you know, again, the idea that stories have power comes up here because we're told it's, I think it's Pippin who mentions the Lord of the Ring. It's Fro, Lord of the Ring. Gandalf's like, shut up. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that here. Even here, you know, you can, I guess, summon evil by talking about it too much. Uh, so it's similar to what happens with Aragorn when he says we can't tell any cool stories on Weathertop. So here's this dumb story about me. Uh, it's the same thing. So there's this idea, right, that like storytelling and stories have powers mm-hmm. in reality. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just an imaginative exercise. You know, it, it intrudes in the real world and in real ways. So mm-hmm. that I mean, that's interesting. I don't think we need this much of it, uh, but I understand why it's here. Uh, it's very funny to me that also there's a explicit mention of Ware Guild in here. This is off topic. <laughs> But you can see where Tolkien, like as a medievalist, is really mm-hmm. present in these two chapters, both in terms of the story myth thing and, and also just these little asides about like very Anglo-Saxon things mm-hmm. in the midst of this this story. Um, so all my snark aside. Uh, I see what's I see that is also important, but again, I don't think we need it to this extent. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious about like why. Like, why did we get, I mean, it's uh, this poem, but like, why did Tolkien choose, right, this, this particular historical instance to immortalize in this poem that Bilbo mm-hmm. wrote? And so I'm wondering about this, and I, I, I have another little nugget of a theory that like, mm-hmm. this is, right, these two chapters are the real beginning of this kind of quest to eradicate evil in a very specific way mm-hmm. and get rid of this object of evil and the story of Arendelle like obviously the Silmarils were not an evil object but again this is like the culmination of this yes. kind of quest since the honestly the beginning of really the beginning of Elvish civil well not but since the Silmarils were created right it's the end it's the climax of this quest to you know kind of return these mm-hmm. jewels to where they came from in a, I don't know, uh, fulfilling way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with some sort of closure, right? Right. And so I think Tolkien is kind of using it to like, uh, f- like, I guess serve as sort of a foil to like what is going on in this story now by telling us, you know, this specific 
part of elvish history from very long ago. Yes. Uh, it's interesting you said that because I was when I was reading Isildur's little mm-hmm. note about mm-hmm. the ring and he mentions that it burns his hand. It reminded me of the Silmaril too, right? And what the effect it has on, uh, you know, people who aren't supposed to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that it, you know, the pain lingers. It doesn't go away either. Mm-hmm. So he gets it hot from Sauron's hand mm-hmm. and it stays hot mm-hmm. when it's in his palm, I guess. And it burns him and yes. the burn stays with him. He's they, of course he's so besotted with the ring. Now he's like, well, the pain was worth it. Yes. Uh, but it's a similar thing to the, the Silmaril where you had, you know, the wolf eats it and then runs around like Wile E. Coyote with steam coming right. out of its mouth, drinking all the rivers. Well, right. I mean, anyone who touches it, right. Even the, um, the sons of the sons of Feanor at the end, right? Like the two of them, Maethros like falls into the chasm of fire. And then I forget who the other remaining one is, but he like jumps. He's, he's in such pain burning that he jumps into the ocean. Yes. So it is very, there are kind of these Mm. more interesting parallels between the Silmarillion and the fellowship or the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy here, then I think is just present in this like recounting of the Silmarillion. But yeah. I do think you really have to kind of dig for them and, and know, right. What's, what's going on. Cause that detail isn't in here Mm-mm. about the burning of the, the Silmarillion. Right. You would have to know that from yeah reading. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about the elves? I know you had some questions. Sure. Yeah, so Sam, of course, is very excited about the elves. Mm-hmm. And he has this line that's uh, kind of stood out to me. It's kind of interesting where he characterizes them. And this is to Frodo. He says, he says of the elves, some are like kings, terrible and splendid, and some as merry as children. And a little bit later on, he says, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know the ways of the place. So there's this sense that he's trying to understand mm-hmm. Rivendell and the elves. And it's just interesting that he sees them as in these two very... And that's very stark dualism, right? Some are either lords and others are more like innocent, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just, yeah, I was just curious what you thought about both about the characterization of the elves that we get here, but also just about Rivendell as a place. Um, and maybe how, you know, Sam's kind of view of the elves is helps us understand Rivendell. Mm. You don't have to have a specific answer. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I definitely don't. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I think your note here is correct. Like, Rivendell, and we'll see it again in Lothlorien, too. And I think it'll be interesting to compare the two, but they're definitely both places out of time. There, is, there are, like, big differences between Rivendell and Lothlorien, though, where, like, Rivendell is out of time, sort of, but it at least seems... To be like aware of what's and like connected with what's going on in the outside world. Lothlorien is literally out of time that we'll talk about that later, right? They they don't know how much they like get really disoriented when they leave Lothlorien because they're like, wait, the moon is not what it should be based on how much time we were there. And, and they basically were like, oh, yeah, time passes different here, right? Whereas like Rivendell, that doesn't happen. So it's a little more grounded in like the reality of the world that it's in. Um, But it certainly doesn't quite exist in the same. And like people, I think they mentioned like people looking for Rivendell often Mm -hmm. can't find it. People who aren't looking for it stumble upon it. So it is like it exists on this like other plane Yep. but is still sort of grounded in reality. And I think partially that sense, like you get that sense because they're having this council here, they're talking about mm-hmm. like very real things here. Um, but it definitely isn't quite mm-hmm. right. Like yeah. of, of the world as it currently is. Right. I mean, we're told that Boromir stumbles on it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not really looking for it. Right. And then I th- and then I think, you know, kind of your question about elves too. I think it's sort of the same as Rivendell. It's like very they're just ill-defined. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think it's hard for or not ill-defined, not ill-defined by Tolkien, sorry, but like they're hard to define for 
Sam for perhaps us, you know, Mm -hmm. because they exist sort of in this other world. And so, right, what you expect about them is perhaps not how they are or like they do things like the things that they do that are Mm -hmm. ordinary seem very unexpected because they're, you know, these kind of strange, wise, old beings you know, I think he's, you know, some like King's terrible and splendid and some marry his children. I do think also Tolkien is trying to give us a sense of like, there is variation in, mm-hmm. right, the elvish mm-hmm. population is it's not just like these grave, old, ancient, beautiful, wise elves. There's like all kinds of elves. Um, it's not, they don't just like, they're not just defined by one mm-hmm. one okay. thing. So I think literally kind of that's perhaps mm-hmm. helpful for Tolkien to kind of put that out there is like, yeah. they're not all the same. But I also think that this sort of parallels how we're meant to think of Rivendell is like, you know, it is, it is and it isn't mm-hmm. within like existing within the world uh, uh like the you know wider world that's helpful because we don't really see the elves as anything other than kind of terrible and splendid right i mean they kind of are like a monolith right it's like there's one thing sort of in our mind when we right like learn about the elves and kind of it seems like tolkien wants us to think that about them that they're all just right these sort of very wise uh kingly queenly beings but i do think he tries hard sometimes to make us not see that uh or not hard but he does he does try to sort of edge us off a little bit yes they kind of remind me of like when the doctor goes to the high council in gallifrey (laughs) it's the same vibe yeah just like old stuffy knowledgeable but maybe kind of i don't know out frozen of, in the past. yeah like a little yeah. out of touch a little, some, a little I mean, aloof right like some are more in some yeah. are more in touch like elrond's pretty in touch with what's going on oh he's hip but right they don't seem they don't seem very interested in in world affairs well, we know some of them are already thinking about being over this, uh, you know, on the other side of the ocean. Like, that's partly the thing is their brains are already. They're checked out. You know, they put their two weeks notice in. They're still going to help. They're going to be helpful, but they're not going to go out of their way. Like, they are done. No, right. They're like, we're not sending in armies. We're not sending yeah. people. You know, the only elf who goes on this trip with Frodo is a is a wood elf. And they're a very different sort of subsect of elvish people. And so. I mean, it, it's made very clear in the Council of Elrond that this is the quest of men. Like, this is not something that elves elves did their time. They put in their time with the Silmarils. Like, the the ring is not their problem. Right. Well, they tried before, and men screwed oh, yeah. up with the ring. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, well, it's your problem to fix now. Which is a which is also strange because like they have their three elvish rings. Who we get a little more sense in this in um the Council of Elrond vaguely of like what would happen if what would happen if either the ring was returned to Sauron or if the ring is destroyed so the elves do have some skin in this game um you know in so much as like they don't want Sauron to get the ring because then he'll be able to corrupt them but also it's kind of like but if the ring is destroyed then our our rings lose all their power so Right. If the ring is destroyed, either way, the time of elves is sort of ended. It's just one is maybe less shitty than the other. Right. One is actively awful and the other one is just, yeah, sort of a negation, I guess. Right. Of... They can at least like go to Valinor and and be done, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Because the rings are originally made to heal mm-hmm. things. But the suggestion is that if Sauron gets them, he can corrupt them to mm-hmm. you know have the opposite effect. Mm hmm. Um, and there's an interesting line around there where Elrond says something about, uh, maybe this is later when the Tom Bombadil comes up. There's mm-hmm. actually a much longer conversation about Tom Bombadil than I remembered. 
happening. And I don't know if this is the place to talk about it, but it's kind of related to what we're saying, I think. Why not talk about it? Let me find it. Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly where it is because this is such a it's a long chapter, too. It's a really long chapter. It. It's a really long chapter. But but the subject of Tom Bombadil comes up because the, someone asked, and I do not remember who it is. Can't we just give it to Tom? And he can hang on to it. It's one of the other elves. It's one right? of the other elves. Yeah. Yes, they say, why can't we give it to Tom? And both Gandalf and Elrond are like, no, they give various reasons. Some we've already heard. You know, Gandalf says again about how Tom would just be forgetful. He wouldn't take care of it. He wouldn't understand the significance. Um, and Elrond backs him up on this. Um, but he also says something to the effect of, you know, that his his domain has shrunk. He's shrunken himself. Like he chooses to do this, which we didn't know mm-hmm. before, I don't think. Uh, but that Tom himself was the one who kind of, you know, made his domain smaller. Mm-hmm. And also that, you know, Elrond says something to the effect of if, you know, if the world could, if the natural world could stand against Sauron, we could maybe give it to Tom. But we know that nature can't. Because this is after we learn about what Saruman's been doing. Um, he's saying, you know, that the, the earth can be corrupted. So therefore, Tom doesn't have enough power to stop it. Mm-hmm. So there's this way in which, right, his geographic scope is small, but also just the nature of his power doesn't seem to be enough, which I think goes back to what we were saying when we talked about Tom, that, you know, he's not a Luvatar. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, he's some sort of, you know, spirit of creation, maybe, but but with limited powers. Um, but it's really interesting. It was really interesting to me to see him come up again in such detail here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's kind of related to what they also say about Rivendell, right, as being safe for now. And it fits with what you were saying about why the Silmarillion is so present here, too. This idea of, you know, a quest towards an ending, mm-hmm. a definitive ending. Right. Because um, they also mentioned, why can't we just chuck it in Throw the sea? Throw it in the sea. I love that. I love that that's like a... I love that that's like a solution, right? Like, oh, just throw it in the ocean. It's, it's like the garbage ball on Futurama. Truly. Shoot at a rocket in the space. Like, um, oh, yes. This is... This will solve all our problems. And then, like... You know, the interest, the most interesting kind of solution that they pot like posit here is like, oh, let's just send it to Valinor. And they are like, they won't take it. Customs will not let you. They're not going to they're not going to sign for that package. (laughs) Nope. It's going straight back to UPS. Yeah, you're getting you're getting turned around at the border if you show up with that in your carry on. Because right, because it's the problem of Middle Earth. Um, whereas like the Silmaril could go to Valinor because it was created there. It was kind of the problem of Valinor. Right. It was theirs to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Whereas. Yeah. The... Yeah. This isn't going to work. Yeah. And um, it's and it, it's yeah. men's to deal with. Right. Because right. the Sildur decided to keep it. It's his problem now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what, a, what a dummy. Yeah. I mean, we get the, uh, the line, too, that we're not here to temporarily solve anything. Yes. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, in other words, so we're looking for a final, you know, we're looking for something that's actually going to end this for good. And all these other ideas will not do that. They're just delaying the inevitable. Like you throw it in the ocean, you're risking it being discovered. Right. Um, I, I guess by Cthulhu. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Gandalf is like, there are things in the deep waters and seas and lands may change. And it is not our part uh here to take thought only for a season or for a few lives of men or for a passing age of the world we should seek a final end of this menace even if we do not hope to make one um which is also interesting like we at least need to try to end it even if even if there's no hope of ending it so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of debate about what what should be done there's just a lot of debate happening here yeah yeah and it's it's interesting how much the nature of the world and things comes into play though we get discussions about evil again. Elrond at one point says, you know, nothing begins as evil, not even Sauron, which I swore Melkor did begin as evil, but it's been so long since we talked about him. Maybe I'm misremembering. I mean, he didn't like begin as evil, but then during the song, he kind okay. of like changed and okay. morphed. Well, what about Ungoliant? Ungoliant was always evil, right? Yes, Ungoliant was always evil. So how do, is that just because she's from the void? Is that But I, yeah, see, I don't know if that's because... Like, I don't know if, and this is maybe a nuance that, you know, mm-hmm. who knows if Tolkien was thinking of it. Are we just making excuses for him and his bad argument? Maybe. But like, is it because, is it 
anything created by Iluvatar does not begin evil, right? But we don't really know where the heck Ungoliant came from. So she could begin as evil because, right? Like, yeah, that would make sense because the ring is evil, too. Right. And it wasn't right. By, it wasn't created yeah. by Iluvatar. But okay. like no, that uh, make sense. Melkor wasn't technically evil, but then like wanted power and that made him evil. And then same with like, obviously, Sauron and Saruman, right? Saruman. Sermon's actually a really good example of this because he was he's in um he's a Maiar. Like he's not he's not yep. evil at all. But right. but he's yeah, he his we're all over the place, but his his corruption in this section is actually is maybe the most interesting thing in here. Yeah, learning about what learning Gandalf's little adventures were um were interesting. And just how Saruman appears to be corrupted, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you have thoughts about this, but it seems uh, what we hear, it's just that he thought so much about the rings and obsessed over them so much that it, it corrupted him. Yeah. Um, I think of it. So we're, we're like rife with Dr. Who, uh, references in this episode, <laughs> but I think of it like the, uh, he who beholds an image of an angel becomes himself an angel, right? If you, if you contemplate something too much, you start to become <laughs> that thing. Ah, uh, right. Like in it, right. I think that's, I think that's it. Right. He's, but also again, you know, he's like studying about it. And I think there's something here about maybe Tolkien, like making, you know, some like, don't, you know, like don't open yourself up to that sort of like evil by even like, you know, Right, it's like in a horror. It's like in a like, you know, yeah. horror movie where someone gets possessed. Well, like you know, they got out the Ouija board and we're like trying to, you know. So you're opening up yourself to that, and I think that's kind of what's happening to Saruman here. Is like he is, he is learning too much, so then he does invite that corruption in. But I think that I think. The thinking of it in terms of the weeping angels and doctor who is helpful for me <laughs> but no it's not i see your question here about is this corruption uh the same as that which happens to sildor and Gollum? it's absolutely not and i think that's because he never possesses the ring right yeah he never is physically in contact with it right and so he just lusts after it like the word lust is used mm-hmm. here and i think because he's so powerful too that it's a very different sort of corruption. Like he, he wants the ring to defeat. He says it's to defeat Sauron, but really it's to like make himself the new Sauron, which is like different, right? Gollum doesn't, Gollum doesn't, isn't corrupted because he wants to be great and powerful. And, I mean, Isildur really isn't, he, like, he keeps the ring because, like. He thinks it's, like, the way he can get justice, right? Yeah, it's, like, you know, he, he earned it, his, he chopped it off, his father died, you know. Right, he doesn't, but he doesn't have a, again, he doesn't really have a specific purpose, you know, it'll be his heirloom, um. But Saruman wants it for a very specific purpose. I think that's that that is different than the other kind of two people who we've seen be corrupted by the ring. But I think we see that again with like people in positions of power who are offered the ring. You know, we can look at Galadriel, her very famous speech when Frodo offers it to her and even, you know, Gandalf when he says he you know he can't have it right you know they would use it to like do things and kind of be movers and shakers in whatever you know terrible capacity they decided um whereas like a little person like Gollum, and even i think in some instances isildur isn't gonna be able to use the ring to do that yeah it is interesting because the the primary evil of the ring seems to be that it it just allows a single person to channel their will, mm-hmm. whatever that will is. Like mm-hmm. you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be inherently evil, right? But it's still an imposition, right? Of what right. you know, Gandalf's particular you know, vision, right? The things he would want to do um, versus the things that you know Boromir would want, or right? Like everybody has their own kind of mm-hmm. 
I mean, Saruman's is more obviously evil, I guess. Right. <laughs> but but it's funny that he doesn't, or at least it, it, to Gandalf doesn't, you know, present it that way. Mm-hmm. I think he knows. I think he knows his ambitions, but like, well, I don't I think, think he's being completely honest. Yeah. And I, well, I think that's the issue with Saruman, right? Is like he is ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Tolkien's saying some things here about ambition as well that like <laughs> ambition very easily corrupts because that's all Saruman. And knowledge I mean, too, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's Saruman like... is like too wise. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's similar because the, the whole thing, the whole, this whole process begins with the elves want knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they give, in doing so, they give Sauron the ability to make this ring. So, like, the whole thing begins with a similar desire to, mm-hmm. to know something, mm-hmm. maybe something that we're not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, right, Sauron knows too much about the rings. We're told a couple times that he's the ring expert. Mm-hmm. Elrond, I think, says yeah. this at one point. Um, he uses those exact Radagast. words. Yeah, too. he does. Yeah, he says he's, he's the ring, ring expert. expert. He's a ring guy. Uh, Yes, he yeah. He's like this is, and he, that's why he says the betrayal is so much worse, mm-hmm. right? He's like, ah, oh, we lost our best expert, right? Uh, I see this question here too about this ring that Gandalf notices. On. Yeah, do we ever learn? Like, is it a is it a mood ring? Is it a decoder ring? Does he so. get out of some cracker jacks. What is this ring? He made it. Is it a toe ring? It is a toe ring. Saruman made this ring himself, and it's basically like. His version of a replica of one. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look it up. I, I, I googled was... it. Okay. Uh, it is said that it is. It is said that Saruman made this ring in envy of Sauron's ability to create powerful and great rings of power. Oh my god. It says that it. Uh, it is assumed that Saruman's ring was the equivalent of one of the lesser rings in power. But like he, I believe, did make it himself. So, so we don't know what the power in it was. No. Okay. That's fun. I mean, we might, but I'm not going to go down. Yeah. No. Sorry, listeners. Okay. I'm not going down the <laughs> rabbit hole of Reddit right now to to like figure this all out. But yes, it's it's some sort of ring of power. Saruman made it himself because he was envious of Sauron. Yeah. Man, you know, you're not you shouldn't you don't you never want to look that thirsty. I know. Truly. You really don't. No no good comes from looking that uh-uh. down that bad. Oh, wow. Saruman. You fool. <sighs> the many colors. <laughs> but yeah, I that section I really liked. Yeah, it's say. interesting. I like mm-hmm. I like learning where Gandalf is. Yeah, everything else about this chapter, like, you know, I have this question, why all the debate about if this is actually the one ring, but also like, why all the history of like, what happened to like, why do we need to know so much about Gollum? Yeah, I don't know. The right, like, is it just I mean, eh, it's just Tolkien being like, Gollum's gonna come up, you need to know about him. Here he is. I mean, I guess, right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we need to know about his escape, right? Yeah, this freaking that escape. This escape I, makes yeah. me really mad, Aaron. Almost as I mad it, as the poem about Aragorn. I think it is super revealing of everything we we learn about the elves in this section, though. Yeah, they're like sleepy. Yeah, but also that they they are they're not. It goes back to the thing I said about Gandalf. I think a couple of says Gore is like he's kind of naive. Yeah. I, the elves are too naive for this world. Yeah. Like they cannot be in the world of men because they're just going to get they're going to get involved not because of telemarketing schemes. They're going to you know they're going to have their identities stolen. They are not going to do well in the world of men. No, because because they're too they're too willing to believe in right the innocence of God. The innocence are like the re, the re, possibility of redemption. Redemption. So anyway, if you've not uh, if you've not read, basically, you know, we get this long, drawn out kind of chit chat about Gollum and what's been happening with Gollum for a long time. And um, nothing good. Nothing good. He goes to Mordor, you know, he's tortured. Then he comes out of Mordor. Did he escape or was he released? Only released. I think he was released. He was definitely released. Um. Aragorn captures him and then like gives him to the care of the elves, the woodland elves, and 
the woodland elves, you know, they feel bad for poor Gollum. And so they let him out of his prison and they let him climb the trees. <laughs> and, like unimpeded because he likes to climb the tall trees. And then like one day he refuses to come down, which is incredible. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> like a three-year-old. <laughs> I know. It's like all the fire department. <laughs> he refuses to come down from the tree. So the elves wait. And it's a moonless night. They're attacked by orcs. They're all knocked out. And then by the time they come to, the orcs and Gollum are all gone. Well, they, they, their whole defense is we didn't want to put him underground because it would make him worse. It would bring back old habits. Whatever. He didn't have the ring. Who cares? Uh, it is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Gollum's escape is very frustrating. But, of course, Gandalf, because he has some sort of foreknowledge, I think, is like, oh, he might play some part yet. Yeah, I know. I'm like, Gandalf, come on, bro. If you Don't hold out on us if you know stuff. Yeah. And then this debate about if it is actually the One Ring is really weird to me. Like, why? You know, why is there so much questioning about, like, if a questioning and having to, like, right, provide all these proofs that it is the one ring here, right? Because that's where a lot of these stories are leading. Like, that's why we learn about Isildur, uh, like, writing down, you know, it burned right. me, yep. it Here's hurt, the words said. I buy it with great pain, blah, blah, blah. The inscription is, right. Right, because, like, in early on, Gandalf just, like, throws it in the fire, and it reveals mm. the writing. And I'm mm. like, well, why don't they just do that here? <laughs> Like, I mean, the, the hall of fire is literally right. Yeah. There. And there's always a fire burning. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, this, this worked for me a little bit. Go on. Say. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not to the length at which it's drawn out, but uh, I guess it, to me, it suggested that, well, a, it sets up this idea of like how, how central the ring is to the sort of mythos. Mm hmm. Um, because there's at a couple other instances we get competing competing versions of the same story that mm -hmm. comes up a couple times in here right um, one is about Isildur what he does after the battle and he lead, like there's multiple versions of that mm -hmm. so there's this whole idea right that this older history even though people like Elrond remember it not everyone remembers it the same way mm -hmm. or not everyone has recorded the same way so it makes sense to me that there would be some discussion about how do we actually know this is the one one ring, especially if, you know, people like Saruman are out there making crummy copies of it. Uh, it and we get the impression that there are a lot of magic rings because Gandalf says something at the beginning about there's a lot of different ones. Mm -hmm. Some are powerful. Some are just kind of like, I guess, like kind of powerful, but not yeah. in a super interesting or threatening way. So that makes sense to me that it would be the subject of some debate from people who would have only heard about it. Okay. They, I get right because like no one's seen it. No one's seen it in hundreds of years. It's like the you know, it's like in the last crusade when he has to pick the right, <laughs> the right Holy Grail. You right. know, it's the same idea, right? It's like, well, how do you you know, there have been so many versions of this story and so many, you know, rings made. How do we know this is the one? ring? Right. So that works for me. I, I do agree. It's maybe a little longer than it needs to be or more back and forth than we need. Um, and I feel that way about the whole Boromir Aragorn thing too mm -hmm. in this section where it comes up again and again about like is he really Ugh. king um, but that works less well for me than this for some mm -hmm. reason I don't have a logical reason for that but but the ring thing kind of worked okay I buy it okay I buy it wow thanks Aaron Why rings? What do you mean? Why rings? Why magic like rings? Like at all? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Something to do with the Ouroboros. Snake swallowing his tail. The cyclical nature of life, probably. Hmm. Everything happens again and again. It's like the whole thing. Premise, right? Yeah. Of Tolkien. So maybe that's the symbol. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's also very medieval, right? Yeah, there's a lot of... I was just about to say, there's a lot of rings. Not yeah. necessarily, like, magical, but sort of mystical. 
I don't mysticals different than magical, right? Right, but you need an object that's like devoid of religious significance, uh-huh. at least overtly. Yeah, so a lot of rings so. in in um, mm-hmm. yeah. Because you know mm. you can't have like you know the holy lance. Sure. <laughs> the thing, you know, it's a little too obvious. Right, like a giant so ring is <laughs> a giant cross. <laughs> you know, giant cross, a magic cup, whatever. My rosary. Uh, yeah, so you need something that's a little. A little more secular, right? At least believably secular. It's wearable. I mean, I think that's wearable. Yeah, that makes sense. Practically, right? It's wearable and is easily transferred. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's very easy for me to take off a ring. Yeah, and rings do. I mean, just kind of culturally, do have a lot of significance, right? Like you Mm -hmm. bond wear symbol bonding a wedding band, Mm -hmm. um, but also like other things, rings. You know. Right, like crest rings, like that kind of toe ring means you're nasty. Yeah, toe ring means you're really nasty. You know, Boromir um, or a Boromir, uh, Aragorn has the ring of Bera here, which is mm-hmm. you know again. So we see a lot of rings, but I was just you know curious why, why rings? I mean, it does make sense, um, but it's you know everywhere. We've got this one ring. Gandalf says there's a million rings, but we haven't talked yet about like why a ring. Yeah, the, that was a good point. I hadn't, is the thing, yeah. but I think all of this makes sense. I think it's especially significant that uh, the One Ring like sizes itself. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's nice, yep. self-sizing ring. And any anyone who's gotten engaged and like gotten a beautiful ring and then it's been too big, uh, and they have to like send it away to get sized, and has been sad. Uh, would this, love this this ring of powers for you yeah <laughs> wear the one ring you don't have any problems right but it also yeah. means that again it can be easily transferred anyone can wear mm-hmm. it um mm-hmm. but it but then again it's you know treacherous it can slip off a finger it's easily lost which i think is also you know a, a ring is something that's very small easy to misplace um easy to chop off <laughs> Yep. Yep. And it's yeah, unobtrusive or mm-hmm. right, especially like it's this plausible one. is yeah, it's plausible that this could pass unnoticed, right? Right. And I think that's also probably part of the debate is like yeah. it's a gold ring. Can we talk about this writing on the ring? Yeah, actually I'm glad you brought it up because I also I'm, would like to I'm talk very about curious it. about it. And 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 we've talked about it before because it comes up in the um very early chapters they talk about you know Gandalf talks about the writing on the ring and the language of Mordor and blah 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 um and he translates it for Frodo but the the ring writing comes up again here in this you know little um paragraph that Isildur writes um he says that um already the writing upon it which at first was as clear as red flame fadeth and it now uh, and is now only barely to be read. It is fashioned in an elven script of Eregion, for they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work. But the language is unknown to me. I deem it to be a tongue of the black land, since it is foul and uncouth. What evil it saith, I do not know, but I trace a cop- uh, here a copy of it, lest it fade beyond recall. What do you make of this? So the writing is elvish. It's an elvish script. Because they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work, but it is in the language of Mordor. Right. This is confusing to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not completely clear on how it's being represented in the language of Mordor with a different alphabet. Right. Is it like transliteration? Is it like phonetic? It has to be, right? Because he's, yeah, because he says the sounds then. Which right. Are clearly not elvish. Um, yeah, it's really weird. And I, 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 I don't know if, is it that the, the letters are like too ugly to put on a ring? <laughs> well, that's what I'm see. That's what I'm also curious about when he says it's like the, like Mordor has no language for such subtle work, right? Does he mean like, you know, it's either too big or blocky, right? Yeah. So they don't fit. Or does he mean like the subtle work of like this kind of cunning, like magic that's held within the oh. ring, right? Like that is the subtle work that, right? Because mm-hmm. for Tolkien language had power. So this little yep. like scripty chanty poem upon the ring would have 
probably like meant something in terms of its mm. power and so is Tolkien also kind of using subtle to denote that as well or is oh, he maybe. literally just like the language of Mordor is really ugly <laughs> and we don't want it on our jewelry <laughs> and I guess Isildur sort of backs up this, the latter claim when he says that it's this uncouth tongue mm-hmm. right because it's still read in the language of that's right. the, that's a crazy thing is it's written in an elvish script but it still sounds like the language of Mordor is this because Sauron took some of the knowledge from the elves is that what this is is this a lingering effect of that it could be in some way that is that the maybe the subtle craft that is being referred to here is that he had to borrow mm-hmm. some of that knowledge from the elves to is it not that not only that you know mortar doesn't have the letters for it but doesn't have the i don't know didn't have the capability for it initially mm-hmm Right, like the craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't I That's I don't really know. Weird. It's it's really confusing, just sort of from a practical yeah, standpoint. I don't, right, I don't I don't understand, like, I don't understand how, how, the, how no. it's working. Um, because it's a different alphabet. So I'm right. got, is it like am I, is it like like when you go on Wikipedia and it's like phonetically spelled out? Like what? Like what right. is going on here? Because um, I'm, I'm imagining if, if in other words, if something in like a Cyrillic language was put into English, like yes. the Roman alphabet, like how would how would that work in a way that it would? You know, I guess if so, it must be transliteration. It right? has to be transliteration. So, like, uh, if I am writing in Greek, right? Then I to transliterate. I'm putting those words or those letters in their English right equivalent that makes the same sound. So it is transliteration. He's taking the language of Mordor and putting right the Elvish letter that's going to make the same sound, so that Isildur can technically read it because he can. I mean, if he could read the script, because he says he can't. But if he could, he could technically read it because he. I mean, he can. He doesn't know what it means. Well, he, he could sound it out, though, right? Right. That's which is why he says it's, yeah. it's uncouth, harsh and uncouth. Right. But he doesn't know what it means because he can't. Right. He doesn't know the initial language. He doesn't know the language of Mordor. So even if he knows the Elvish language, he doesn't know. He can't connect the dots to the original Yes, he knows the sounds, but the sounds don't mean anything because they correspond to a language he doesn't know. Right. Right. So you can read, he can read the sound, right. but not understand the actual meaning. Of the right. Sound. It is like if you put something in front of me that was in Cyrillic and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I can read or like transliterated from Cyrillic. Right. I could read the but word, I but I wouldn't know what I was saying. Yeah. And that's what's happening here. Yeah. And then Gandalf does recite it. And then Elrond is like, nobody's ever done that here. And he's like, I don't beg your pardon. <laughs> I know. Like, what is going on here? Well, I think it's I think it's Gandalf just being like, y'all need to know what you're up against. I yeah, think, that's true. You Wake know, up. You know, we've talked about kind of the elves Sheeple. are a little sleepy. You know, they're they are. And, and Gandalf is like, this is what would happen if. You know, here's the reality of what happens if this ring isn't destroyed. Because mm-hmm. Gandalf's really the one in that camp, like pushing for the destruction of the ring. Um, and I think he's, you know, if we're talking about styles of debate. This is one of his little methods to get everyone to agree with him. Uh, but I'm glad we figured out the translate transliteration. Yeah, that took me a long, a long time to. Uh... But then it kind of happens. But then it also happens to us because Tolkien writes down what it says. So then it's like, oh, I can read it here in English script mm-hmm. or Roman characters. Right, but it's the black. But speech. it's the it's the yeah black speech. Are you ready for my last question? Did you see it? Did you think about it? Uh, I did think you're talking about the very last one on here. Yep. Yeah, I did. I did see it. And I. Yes, I think he. OK, well, I'll read the, the question is, does Gandalf always know Frodo will be the ring bearer? Uh, 
And I I think yes, the answer is yes, that he always knows he's sending Frodo off on this long journey. Because there's at one point Frodo says something like, I could be comfortable here. I, I'm looking forward to relaxing, like going on hikes. Yeah, Frodo's ready to around. retire in Rivendell. And uh, Gandalf's like, mm, there might be time for that. Not so fast, homeboy. Uh, there might be time for that, but we got to go to the Council of Elrond first. Uh, so no, I... I think he always knows he's going to be the one to take it. I agree. I hundred percent agree. He's like, this little guy's a sucker. I'll get him to do it. He is the sacrificial lamb. I mean, Gandalf kind of knows he's sending like, Frodo I mean, to get, get killed. Well, I don't think any, or, right. I mean, spoiler alert, Frodo doesn't die, but <laughs> I mean, nobody expects him not to. Uh, right. And I don't even think, I don't even know if Gandalf really believes that Frodo will not succumb to the power of the ring. Yeah. But I think he knows that Frodo has a better chance. Now, yeah. the big question is, did Gandalf take out a life insurance policy on Frodo? <laughs> yes, he did. Sent him off? 100%. Okay. Big one. Uh-huh. Is that is that insurance fraud? <laughs> <laughs> how many of you have seen the film double indemnity if you send someone on a quest that you know is likely going to claim their life and you take out a big insurance policy on them beforehand (laughs) jokes on gandalf he doesn't die that's right but yes i agree i think gandalf always knows it's gonna be frodo Oh, yeah, who else is it going to be? Right. That's why we're, that's why Gandalf's always telling him how special he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is like, I do think he's like. He's grooming him. Grooming him. him. <laughs> you're, you're Gandalf's special boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he always knows. Like, who else is going to take it? Exactly. There are no other options. No, Bilbo's too old. Right. Because Bilbo says, I'll do it. Bilbo is, oh, Bilbo. Freaking Bilbo in this section. Honestly, I could just kick his chair out from under him. He's so annoying. <laughs> He's like, oh, you you guys, sh- like, you shouldn't have thought of me. I'll take it. I thought I could retire here, but I started this, so I might as well end it. And Gandalf's like, you did not start this. Like, <laughs> walk, like walk it back a little bit, little, little guy. Slow your roll, buddy, yeah. This started long before you were born. Long before you were up. Twinkle in your father's eye. Gandalf's got a little, or Gandalf Bilbo's got a little ego in this section that I just cannot. He really does. He really does. Yeah. Oh, he He does see the ring. We have that moment. Bilbo put out his hand, but Frodo quickly drew back the ring. To his distress and amazement, he found that he was no longer looking at Bilbo. A shadow seemed to have fallen between them, and though he found himself eyeing. Uh, and through it, sorry, he found himself eyeing a little wrinkled creature with a hungry face and bony, groping hands. He felt a desire to strike him. So, like, oh, Bilbo, right? We think of Bilbo as, like, not having been really affected by the ring. And also, it's interesting here that, like, you know, Bilbo hasn't seen the ring in many, many years now, yeah. really. I mean, it's it's been, like, 12 years since um, he saw the ring, but he's still... Ha- it still has this power yeah. over him. And I think it helps us understand Gollum too, um, you know, and why right. even after having not possessed the ring for so long, he still, you know, hungers for it and needs it and like really, really wants it. He's a junkie. He is a He's junkie. I mean, is this just a is this just a, a tale about you know, stay off drugs? It might be. It's an after school special. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Clearly, Gom is permanently messed up. Right, but Bilbo is, is too. Yeah, in a less obvious. Way. Right. I mean, he yeah. doesn't always like. He's not always like, "Where's my ring?" <laughs> but he does ask to see it, and when he sees it, he like, yeah, he go- yeah. goes crazy. And Frodo wants to hit him, which I think yeah, is also Frodo because he... he wants the ring. Correct. Right. We have a little. Mm. Two, lover's tiff. Two, I was going to say two cats scratching here, but I like lover's tiff oh. better. <laughs> uh, a menage a trois. A menage a trois. Who is the third person? The ring. The ring. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, so I think, you know, we also see a little bit of Frodo's growing, right, yeah. desire to keep the ring. And I think that's why he partially, I don't think it's totally, like, altruistic, right, that Frodo says, I'll take the ring. I think he also is like, I don't want anyone else to touch that ring but me. It's my ring now. Yeah. Right? I think he's grown mm-hmm. a little possessive of it. I think that's it. I think oh, that's it's gotta be. I it. think that's it. If we've gone far afield and mannered back again, yeah, like a couple lost ponies dithered and yawned enough, and mm. you know what? This chapter kind of lends itself to that. We apologize. <laughs> Anywho, next time we will be reading the Ringo South Ooh, on a tropical Ooh. vacation. Mm, that sounds nice. I'm jealous. And a journey in the dark. <gasps> mm. <sighs> sounds scary. Could be. Get ready. Get your teddy bears and your nightlights, everyone. Because we're going into the mines of Moria. That's right. You know, as always, please send us in questions or comments or concerns that you may have. <laughs> uh, if that's a veiled criticism of me, I won't hear it. That does it. It does indeed. We'll be back with dwarf time, mine time. Island time. Island time. So, yeah, bring your favorite drink. That's right. We'll have my ties. Bye. Bye. recite some other poem he says it's not very good and i'm like you're right you should kill yourself <laughs> oh my gosh aaron and bilbo does <laughs> all right that's a bridge too far